Good morning and Happy New Year. It is Kale and Company Live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Hope everyone had a great start to 2024. I think I'm still writing 2022 on my checks, but it's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll get used to it. Yeah, 2022, not even 2023 yet, but happy 2024 to everybody. Great to have you with us here on WKXL. And we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental with individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental Covers Me. Dot com And uh, very happy to have uh, with us today in studio, Josh Hilliard. Josh is the uh, New Hampshire Insurance Department's Enforcement enforcement Council. And uh, Josh, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thank you. So happy to be here. And uh, Josh has the distinction, folks, of being our first guest of uh, 2024. I just have to get used to saying <laughs> yeah. 2024. And and it's true. People say, well, you must be old if you're still writing checks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am. So, but uh, Josh is here. And I want to remind you that if you have any questions regarding uh, your insurance coverage, the New Hampshire Insurance Department's Consumer Services Division is there to help. And you can contact them by emailing services at ins.nh.gov or calling 800-852-3416. And you can learn more at nh.gov slash insurance. So, Josh, uh, what is the role uh, what role do you play as an enforcement counsel at the New Hampshire Insurance Department? Sure. I like to say I think I have one of the most interesting jobs at the insurance department. So what I get to do is help regulate all of the entities that we look into, like insurance producers, agents, uh, insurance carriers. And when they violate any insurance law, I'm permitted to take action against them, an administrative action to potentially fine them. Uh, maybe suspend a license or revoke a license. And that's to make sure that all those entities that we regulate are operating within the bounds of the law. So you have an opportunity to explore all the components uh, of insurance and insurance companies. I do. And uh, I can imagine that uh, it keeps you busy. It does. Uh, I'd like to say, you know, I'm certainly a jack of all trades and a master of none at the insurance department. There are other attorneys who are much more knowledgeable about specific areas of insurance law, but I have to be familiar with all of them, you know, being ready to take action against an entity when it may violate the law. And you uh, told me that uh, prior to joining the insurance department, you did ha- have some uh, background in, in this uh, in this form of exploration, as it were. Yes, yes, just a little bit. I was in yeah. private practice for yeah. five years before then, um, and representing a lot of municipalities. And so I had a little bit of that uh, a foot in insurance defense work, which provided some basis for being at the insurance department. Now, we previously had uh, Fraud Director uh, uh, Brendan Harris on on the show. What's the difference between what he investigates and uh, what your team does? Good question. Brendan is really looking at criminal behavior, uh, at actions that may violate criminal law, and I'm looking at civil infractions. So what I'm permitted to do is take action, like I said, either fine or suspend or revoke a license. I can't really do anything else. While Brendan prepares cases to send to, you know, the county attorneys or the attorney generals for criminal prosecution. So where do the, the cases come from? Uh, what what do you handle mostly? Give us an, an idea of what you're uh, investigating and, and uh, what tools and, and personnel you have to find out things that are just uh, not on the up and up. 
as as they say. Sure. They come from a lot of different areas. Uh, we get referrals from consumers who have concerns about something they think violates the law, that they think they're being cheated in some way, they've got concerns about their policy or how an agent treated them, and we look into those. We get uh, internal referrals from other uh, attorneys within the department or other divisions within the department who have investigated either a consumer complaint or something else they see, mm-hmm. and then they realize, oh, we think this rises to the level that enforcement needs to take action. But we also look at, you know, of course, other agencies, um, not only other insurance departments across the, the country, because, of course, insurance is a state-regulated mm-hmm. uh, entity, but we also look at, you know, Secretary of State's uh, offices because oftentimes persons who are selling uh, financial products are also uh, licensed to sell insurance products. Okay. So we'll certainly look very closely at entities or individuals who run into trouble there. We also have some other tools that we use just to search for complaints about insurance products or financial products to see if it might fall within our purview and you know, require more investigation. So do uh, the complaints that your department gets uh, get uh, come from people, from municipalities, from businesses? How, how does it all work? All types. I'd say most of them come from individual consumers, but we get all types. Uh, and oftentimes they're sort of filtered through the department before they make it directly to enforcement. But we do have a general email, and certainly you, you can reach out directly to our division if uh, particularly a producer or a consumer has a concern that they want to directly raise to enforcement to investigate. So when an individual feels that they are being cheated, uh, how, how does that play out? How, how do they think they're cheated? Being charged too much or, or what, what are their suspicions? Sure. Perhaps I can give you an example to give you an idea of sure. what's that, what yeah. that's like. Uh, a common complaint we see is a consumer who's shopping for some sort of health insurance, but is concerned about the price of sort of a plan, maybe on the exchange, an ACA plan, and they look for some alternative, and they purchase an alternative that perhaps has some components of an insurance policy, but other non-insurance components, like Mm -hmm. um, lifestyle benefit uh, discounts, things like that, gym memberships, um, (coughs) prescription discounts, and companies can package these together, and oftentimes they're mismarketed, and they are, the, the producer will say, this is the equivalent of uh, a major medical health care plan, but it's really not. And so we have consumers purchase those, and oftentimes those complaints will rise to the level that enforcement will investigate. We have some concerns about misrepresentation about that policy and how it's been packaged together and priced and sold to the consumer. Yeah. Uh, now, do you find that uh, many consumers perhaps don't read all, all the fine print and all that's that's in the contract and and maybe they think the company is misrepresenting themselves but uh, maybe they're not if they if they took the time to read the fine print that certainly happens and I think we can <laughs> assume it's a given that consumers are not always reading the the policies all the way through yeah you'd probably be shocked if they did right right if they did read the whole policy and mm-hmm. and all the terms and and re- regulations and 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 what have you so you so it's mostly uh, just private citizens who, who contact the insurance department thinking they have been ripped off for lack of a, a better term that's oftentimes yeah. ways in which we get to 
different referrals, but again, there's other ways yeah. as well. We get referrals from other states that have taken action against an entity that's also licensed in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. which then prompts us to take a look and say, hey, you were doing something bad over in Vermont or Maine or Mass. Maybe we should take a look, too, to make sure you weren't doing it here. Now, do policies change from state to state? I mean, if I, if I move from, let's say, Vermont uh, to New Hampshire, could there be differences in that policy, even if you stayed with the same company? So, yes, there could be. Yeah. Uh, there's the, which is, a, I guess, a common answer attorneys like to give. Maybe there could yeah. be. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the thing to, to remember is, so not only is there individual differences with each state in terms of how they run you know, their insurance products and insurance marketplace, there is some commonplace across all jurisdictions mainly due to the NAIC, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, which helps to produce model laws and try to get conformity between a lot of the, the state's laws to provide similar products in all states. There are still wrinkles and there are differences and there may be a difference if you move to a different state and look for a similar product. But on the whole, a lot of them are, are largely the same across the country. Mm-hmm. So uh, policies don't vary too much from state to state. Again, it depends yeah, yeah, on, on the yeah, policy yeah. and you know what you're purchasing and what state you're in. Um, but it, it, with painting with a broad brush, they're very similar across many of the states. Yes. Yeah, there might be a little tweaks here and there, sure. but uh, uh, now, what about the cost of insurance? How different is that from state to state? Uh, is is there much of a difference? What does it depend on, uh, or are they pretty much the same? Getting a little outside, yeah. um, you know, my knowledge base okay. in terms of what I deal with, but I can tell you it does vary a lot. Okay, and that's because not only are you looking at different risk pools in terms of the individuals or entities that are insured by those different products, you do have those different wrinkles I, I just told you about mm-hmm. that might provide different mandates that insurance must cover in states. And certainly, if you have more mandates, you're likely going to have a higher insurance cost, given that there's more the insurance companies required to cover. Like if I was purchasing insurance, for example, uh, auto insurance in Boston, it's going to cost me more than it does in Concord, New Hampshire. Of course. (laughs) Okay. Our guest is Josh Hilliard. He is the New Hampshire Insurance Department's Enforcement Counsel. And uh, Josh is here, and we'll get into some uh, specifics about the cases that he has dealt with uh, in his years at the New Hampshire Insurance Department. And again, uh, if you have uh, any questions regarding your insurance coverage, the New Hampshire Insurance Department's Consumer Consumer Services Division is there to help you. And you can contact them by emailing consumerservices at ins.nh.gov or calling 800-852-3416. And you can learn more at nh.gov slash insurance. Kale & Company Live continues right after these words. WKXLNHtalkradio.com presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Kale & Company Live here on WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com on the first Tuesday of each month. This happens to be the first Tuesday of the year 
Uh, we are talking insurance, and our first guest on Kale and Company for 2024 is Josh Hilliard. And Josh is the New Hampshire Insurance Department's Enforcement Counsel. And again, I uh, want to remind you that if you have any questions regarding your insurance coverage, very simple. The uh, New Hampshire Insurance Department's Consumer Services Division is there for you, and you can contact them by emailing services at ins.nh.gov or calling 800-852-3416. You can learn more at nh.gov slash insurance. And Josh, we were talking a little bit off the air during the break. You have the opportunity to work and interact with insurance companies, insurance departments, I should say, in other states and other state agencies here in New Hampshire as well. I do, yes. There's a really great system in order to get in touch with the insurance departments across the country, really through the NAIC, which I mentioned earlier, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. So there's different listservs and other email boards and just great ways to get in touch with them to make sure that we're all on the same page in terms of identifying concerning conduct, given that a lot of these companies, of course, don't operate just in one state, but operate either in regions or across the entire country. And as you said, I do get to work closely with some of the agencies here in the state as well, primarily banking, because there's sometimes some overlap between, of course, uh, an entity that's engaging in banking and insurance, as well as um, the Secretary of State's office, the Securities Office, with the financial regulation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's talk uh, specifically about some of the cases uh, that the Enforcement uh, Division has worked on uh, in the past. I I imagine the, the subjects vary quite a bit. They do, they do. So I would say about two-thirds of our cases involve individual agents that we take actions against, and the other third involve actions against companies. Um, But it probably is the inverse in terms of the time it takes. Probably about two-thirds of my time is on those company cases, and a third is on the individual agent cases. Um, (coughs) To give you an example, uh, we had a case not too long ago with an agent up in the Lakes region who was just fraudulently signing up consumers for policies. She she worked out of an office. Thankfully, the, the owner of that office got in touch with us as soon as she re- recognized what was going on and let us know. So we were able to take action against this agent, fine her, revoke her license, and of course, it was also referred for you know criminal prosecution given that she was fraudulently signing up consumers. So I, I want to, I mean, that's an interesting story, but I, I will tell you, it's unique. Most, the vast majority of the licenses, both agents and companies, are operating within the bounds of the law. It's really that subset that don't that I'm involved with. So uh, she was signing up uh, clients to Mm -hmm. to fraudulent insurance policies. So was she, was this uh, like through the... You know, telephone calls or were people uh, contacting her? How, how, did, how did that work? So she was reaching out and either having yeah. incoming clients or reaching out and, and finding potential clients and gathering their information for a quote. But then, of course, not just quoting them, but mm. signing them up for policies. And she was really devious, this agent, because then what she did was route the billing back to the office rather than to the client's home. Okay. So the client didn't yep. even realize that they had this this policy. Of course, they weren't paying it, so then it quickly was canceled. But in that lag time, that agent had received a commission. And of course, she was just fishing to try to bump up her commission. Um, and it all came crashing down, of course. It didn't work out for her. But that, that's certainly a uh, quite crazy story we had, yeah. So, so you have to be uh, wary of uh, a lot of these scam phone calls that people get 
uh, these days. Some of them, uh, certainly not all, but some of them do deal with insurance and, and that sort of thing. And, and I think uh, these scammers uh, particularly uh, prey on the elderly in our society. They do, and that's a real big concern. I mean, it's a vexing problem because a lot of those phone calls or letters that come into the state, of course, are not originating in the state. Right. Um, so we have limited jurisdiction over the entities that are doing those things. That said, there's been a real concerted push over the last few months at the department to, to rein in some of these entities that are doing that in relation to what we call consumer guarantee contracts, which are sort of like insurance light. It, it's those products you have on your uh, an extended automobile warranty, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a warranty in your home. Uh, it, it could be warranty on electronic products, things like that is too. It's not an insurance policy, but a warranty. Yeah. And we've yeah. seen some really bad acts from some of those sellers who reach out and particularly seem to target the elderly. And again, use the word scam. I hesitate to use it given my role, but I certainly see a lot of really concerning behavior in terms of both the marketing of those products and how they're you know, treating consumers on the back end in terms of actually paying out when they should. What, what is the difference between a policy and a warranty? Really good question. So uh, the warranties, like I said, are sort of insurance light. They're lightly regulated. They still fall under the jurisdiction of right. the insurance department, but there is much less in the way of regulation. An insurance company is much more heavily regulated in terms of uh, not only the products it can provide and the terms those products must include, but also sort of the financial solvency of that company. Um, there is not near the amount of oversight or regulation in these warranty products. Because I think we can recognize they're not seen as perhaps as large or as integral to a consumer's financial well-being because they're for your the radiator in your car, right? Or right. the dishwasher in your house. It's not, you know, protecting as large a product. Sometimes you hear about, uh, you know, signing up for a bumper-to-bumper warranty. And I know there have been people in, in my circle of friends, including myself, that have sometimes uh, taken my vehicle back thinking, well, uh, that's certainly, that, that part is, you know, between the bumpers, right? Uh, but a lot of times that, uh, that does not turn out to be the case. Is that, is that something that, that uh, you, uh, you would in- investigate or, or not? So perhaps not me personally, yeah. but certainly the insurance department. Okay. If yeah. a consumer has a concern about a product like that, I would, of course, recommend that they reach out to our consumer division at the insurance department and speak to the employees there who would either be able to assist or if it's something that doesn't fall within our jurisdiction, because there's that possibility, they could refer it to potentially the attorney general's office if there's further concerns. So you do investigate warranties as well as policies. Correct. Yeah. So, so do you have any other stories to share on the, sure. how people can be uh, taken advantage of or sure. uh, insurance uh, fraud, as it were? Right. So I don't want to give the impression that it's all just bad actors. Sometimes oh, no, it, it, it's simply I'm, I'm, o- oversight or ignorance right on the part of a company. So I yeah. have actually a recent example where we had a company that had sold um, quite a few life insurance policies mm-hmm. in the state. And there's a provision under New Hampshire law that uh, an insurance policy that is paid out 30 days or more after death must uh, provide interest to the beneficiary, right? Yeah. Um, and we had a company that had done that on some occasions, but had failed to do it on over 60 occasions. And so we were able to take action against them, not only find that company for failing to comply with the law, but also 
pay interest to all those consumers who should have had interest over the last few years. So again, I don't think there was necessarily um, you know, ill intent on the part of the company with this oversight, but they didn't comply with the law. We need to take action to force them to comply with the law. So all aspects of insurance are investigated, whether it be health, auto, yes. life, uh, all all can be investigated. Yes, yes. And and again, it, it I usually kind of get it second, the, the second bite okay. at the apple. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's attorneys who are more deeply, have more deeper knowledge in terms of those specific fields. And when they go, hmm, something here doesn't seem right, I think this is an enforcement issue, then it usually comes up to me. And, and I'm sure uh, you investigate uh, the local agencies, the yep. insurance agencies. Uh, then is it uh, more difficult to investigate a local agency or one of the, the nationals that we, we see advertising all the time on television? Uh, it's actually probably about the same. I'll yeah. tell you, one of the benefits of my job that's different than what I used to do in terms of private practice is right. All the entities that we license are required under New Hampshire law to respond to any questions we send them within 10 days, 10 business okay. days, right? Yeah. And that's very different than what I used to do in terms of back and forth with discovery and, and civil litigation, where you can go back and forth for months trying to get information. So it doesn't matter if it's a local agency or a national, they know they have this obligation, and certainly I make it clear. When I send them a letter asking questions, I put down at the bottom, you're required to, pursuant to this law, to respond within 10 days. Yeah. And for the most part, we get timely responses. Well, and that uh, it, it's always assuring to talk insurance on the on the first Tuesday of every month, knowing that the uh, New Hampshire Insurance Department is there, uh, because uh, you know most people, and I think I put myself in that category, don't totally understand all the uh, all that goes into an insurance policy or a warranty as we mentioned and it's great to know that uh, you folks are there and uh, helping out uh, every day of the year we appreciate that we do what we can happy to be here and i would encourage any consumers that have concerns to reach out to the department that is uh, josh hilliard and again any questions regarding uh, your insurance coverage the uh, new hampshire insurance department's consumer services division is there to help uh, you can contact them just email consumer services at ins.nh.gov or give them a call at 800-852-3416 and learn more at nh.gov slash insurance and josh hilliard thanks so much for being with us today we really appreciate it really appreciate it thank you for having me we will take a break kale and company continues here on wkxl nhtalkradio.com presented by northeast delta dental and we will be right back Welcome back and Happy New Year once again. Kale and Company Live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We're talking about 1450 on the AM dial. Signal that's been around since 1946. 1039 on the FM dial in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and nhtalkradio.com. You can take that with you uh, wherever you go around the world and around the clock. What a day it was Monday for Michigan. It was Michigan Monday as uh, Michigan won the Rose Bowl. Uh, that happened uh, at uh, Pasadena, California, 
huge game and, of course, a shot in the national uh, championship game now for the Wolverines of Michigan, who came from behind to defeat Alabama in overtime, 27-20. Very exciting game. And uh, Michigan, under the direction of uh, head coach Jim Harbaugh, will be going to the national championship game next Monday in Houston. And I say it was a a huge Monday in Michigan. Not only did the Wolverines win their game over Alabama, someone in Michigan won a Powerball jackpot worth, are you ready for this, $842.4 million. That is correct. $842.4 million. If you're interested in the winning numbers, maybe you want to try playing them here, uh, uh, Kino or something, Uh, 12, 21, 42, 44, 49. And the red Powerball number was one. Final ticket sales pushed the jackpot beyond its earlier estimate, of $810 million to $842.4 million at the time of the drawing, making it the fifth-largest Powerball jackpot and tenth-largest U.S. lottery jackpot ever won. Uh, before the big win on New Year's Day, the jackpot had been growing since mid-October. The uh, chance of uh, winning the Powerball jackpot won in 292.2 million dollars. Now, the lucky ticket holder who has, uh, I don't believe, I don't think that uh, ticket uh, holder was identified, at least the last I knew, but anyway, they have a choice. All right, Andrew, I want you to make the choice here. If you had uh, this this prize, this annuitized prize, prize of $842.4 million, payable over 30 years, or you could take the lump sum of $425.2 million. Which one would you take, Andrew? I would probably take the lump sum, and the only reason I would take the lump sum um, would, one, it would just be there and I wouldn't have to worry about it, um, but two, I could then divvy it up to the accounts I need to divvy it and to the people I would I would also to be a two because that is an obscenely large large amount of money <laughs> yes yeah, yeah as if 425.2 million wasn't enough right right right, right. Uh, but uh, yeah i would as an as an older person i i would definitely uh take the lump sum payment of 425.2 million i i think i could cover uh most of my bills that way uh, and, and a lot of other people's as well. <laughs> may, may, you know, maybe maybe build them houses. I don't know, whatever. But uh, you know, I I think if I had that kind of money, I I, I think I'd be generous with it. I, I really do. I don't think I would, uh, you know, just to keep it for myself. I think I I I think I would be. I'd like to think that uh, I would be uh, very generous with it. But uh, you never know until you put in that position, and I probably never will be. Uh, but uh, anyway, can you imagine winning $842.4 million? I know I'm, I'm happy, like, with winning 10 bucks in Keno, you know? I really... 
<laughs> so I can't I can't even imagine this. But uh, congratulations to whoever in uh, Michigan won that uh, that jackpot prize. You know, I, I heard about uh, a friend of a friend who uh, recently uh, won on a scratch ticket, a scratch ticket bought in Nashua, seventy five thousand dollars. Now, to me, I, I mean, I'd just be ecstatic. Seventy-five grand? Are you kidding? Well, multiply that by many, and uh, you, you'll get to eight hundred and forty-two point four million. And if you wanted to take those uh, annuitized uh, payments, uh, you'd get a pretty decent check uh, for the next uh, thirty years. So anyway, that was in Michigan. So. Uh, Michigan had a, had a big day to celebrate the winning uh, Powerball ticket and uh, the Wolverines winning their Rose Bowl game. And then uh, last night, I'll bet many of you were not up for the end of this one. Uh, Washington held off Texas in the Sugar Bowl at the uh, Caesars Superdome in New Orleans, 37-31. to 31. Uh, Both of these games came down to the last play. And as I understand it, because I didn't stay up for the the entire Sugar Bowl, I, I saw quite a bit of it, but I didn't stay up until I think it ended at 10 minutes of 1 in the morning. And you know what? To me, uh, on especially on a, a holiday, there's no excuse for that. Uh, I mean, it didn't start uh, until uh, almost 9 o'clock. So you know you were going to get a late finish on the East Coast anyway. Uh, the game was played in New Orleans, which is only an hour different uh, from us. Uh, I think the games could have been reversed. I, I, and I know the Sugar Bowl always comes after the Rose Bowl, but, you know, I, the folks on the East Coast who, who love sports, uh, really, they always, uh, you know, have, have the short stick because we have to stay up really late. To see these games, like if you're on the West Coast, it doesn't matter because it's you know three hours different. And if it ended at ten minutes of one on the East Coast, it ended at ten minutes of ten on on the West Coast. But this is an East Coast thing, and many of the major markets, the television markets, are on the East Coast, and people have to work, folks. People have to work in the morning and can't stay up until you know all hours of the night to watch these games. So. Especially on a holiday when people are at home and they want to see these games. Uh, you, you could start the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Uh, say you started it at, uh, you know, at uh, 3 o'clock uh, New Orleans time. That would be 4 o'clock our time. And then have the next one like at you know, 7 o'clock maybe or 7.30 even. And it would end, generally speaking, before 11 o'clock in most cases which is a big difference between ending by 11 and ending, you know, just before 1 in the morning. And I don't, I don't know, I, you know, on a holiday. I understand a regular day of the week, you, you couldn't get away with that. But if, if a Sunday or a holiday, as, uh, you know, New Year's Day is for most of us, you know, start these games a little earlier in the day. You can do it. I mean, even start the first one at 3 but they won't listen to me. Uh, they never do. Uh, but, you know, on, on the East Coast, you have some huge television markets. Boston, uh, New York, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Miami, Washington, D.C. You can go up and down the seaboard and, you know, go out to the Midwest as far, you know, west as Detroit is still in the eastern time zone. Uh, 
you know, uh, and there's a lot of major markets involved. But at any rate, it'll be <laughs> Michigan and Washington in the championship game of college football Monday night. Next Monday night, I believe the kickoff is going to be 730. That's a good time. It'll be over by midnight. I can almost guarantee it. And uh, that'll be in Houston. So that'll be a week from uh, last night. Red Sox and, uh, had made some news by making a trade. They traded Chris Sale to the Atlanta Braves for Vaughn Grissom. Vaughn Grissom, who actually uh, made his debut. He's a second-base shortstop. Uh, second baseman slash shortstop made his debut at Fenway in 2022 as a member of the Atlanta Braves and became the first player, believe it or not, in baseball history. And this took place at Fenway Park to hit a home run and steal a base in his major league debut. How about that, sports fans? Vaughn Grissom, get used to that name. Because in all likelihood, Vaughn Grissom will be the Red Sox starting second baseman on opening day. And Chris Sale will be pitching for the Atlanta Braves. Chris Sale is gone. Red Sox fans don't have Chris Sale to kick around anymore. We will take a break. And we'll be right back. More Kale and Company Live coming up for a brand new year, 2024. Get used to it, folks. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental, and we shall be right back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are getting closer all the time to the first in the nation primary, which will be held right here, despite the threats from other states and political parties or party. Uh, we will be holding the first in the nation primary. Three weeks from today. It's a scary thought, right? Uh, our good friend, Mike Moffat, who has appeared on this show a number of times, State Representative Mike Moffat, who represents uh, Loudoun and, and beyond. Uh, Mike Moffat uh, wrote an article for the uh, New Hampshire Journal. I'll read a little bit of it for you. Uh, taking the first in the nation presidential primary away from from New Hampshire is akin to yanking the Indy 500 from Indiana or the Kentucky Derby from Kentucky. But the Granite State's hold on the first in the nation primary has always been tenuous, requiring constant vigilance and hard work to retain. In other words, while South Carolina would never abscond with the Derby, it or any other state would happily take away our first in the nation primary. But large states like California or Florida, for example, are poor fits for the first in the nation. A smaller state is essential if retail politicking is to play a role in our candidate selection process. 
It allows underdogs like Jimmy Carter, Gary Hart, and Pat Buchanan to actually come to a place like New Hampshire and win. Such candidates, even if ultimately unsuccessful, help winnow the field while also shaping the national debate in very important ways. Our first in the nation is, dare I say, inclusive. A New York, Texas, or Illinois first in the nation would immediately disqualify all but the most moneyed candidates. That dynamic is well understood. The first in the nation must be in a small state. But there are other small states. Why not Rhode Island or West Virginia? Now, the former is too blue and the latter is too red. First in the nation belongs in a purple battleground state where the political media culture is not dominated by one party or the other, like New Hampshire. But while tradition has value, traditions sometimes bear scrutiny. There are silly traditions like the annual presidential, presidential turkey pardon or West Virginia's roadkill cook-off. Is there value to New Hampshire's first-in-the-nation primary tradition? Yes. And numbers document this value. Impressive percentages of Granite Staters show up to vote in presidential primary elections. The Internet is replete with statistics documenting unsurpassed New Hampshire first-in-the-nation voting participation with typically a majority of voters in most precincts or districts showing up. So why would a state with a 7% primary participation rate uh, deserve the first in the nation? Enter Joe Biden. Calculating, corrupt, career politician. As Barack Obama famously said, don't underestimate Joe Biden's ability to <clears throat> blank things up. We'll keep it clean. It's a family show. Even before the voting had concluded during the 2020 first in the nation primary in which Biden finished fifth in New Hampshire, he abandoned his New Hampshire supporters to fly to South Carolina to make a bargain with state a power broker, U.S. Representative Jim Clyburn. In exchange for Clyburn's support, Biden agreed to pick a woman of color as vice president while also pushing South Carolina for first-in-the-nation status. Biden's progressive knock on New Hampshire was that it was, in his words, too white. Thus, he favored a state where over 60% of Democrat voters are non-white, which is even less reflective of American demographics. Oh, well, as Obama said. Now, New Hampshire establishment Dems are working hard to promote a write-in vote for a president who disdained having his name on the New Hampshire ballot. Good luck with that. Any Democrat who cares about our first-in-the-nation primary should vote for someone whose name is on the ballot, like Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips, who is one, not senile, 
two, not a wacko progressive squad member, and three, actually campaigns in New Hampshire. On the Republican side, we potentially find the most historic opportunity to change our political calculus since Senator Eugene McCarthy almost beat President Lyndon Johnson in 1968, prompting LBJ to announce his retirement. Former South Carolina Governor and U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley has run a near-perfect campaign as she steadily increased her polling totals from 3% a year ago to numbers that now approach 40%. And Haley is, number one, not senile, number two, not a wacko, and number three, actually campaigns in New Hampshire far more than any other candidate. She has held a McCain-esque 100-plus town halls, showing Granite State voters the respect that former President Donald Trump denies them. Haley answers questions. Trump does not. His modus operandi is to blow in for a rally where he cites polls, calls people's names, calls people names, and then blows out. Uh, This is Mike Moffat's article. I'm just reading it verbatim. Full disclosure, I was the first state representative to endorse Haley on October 30th. After all, Haley's initials are N.H., So as January 23rd grows even closer, New Hampshire voters find themselves at a crossroads, the likes of which we have never experienced in our political history. Two very defective, very elderly presidents are vying for our votes. And while Biden uh, may be a calculating, corrupt career politician, at least he doesn't face criminal indictments yet. Trump faces at least 91 felony counts in four states on top of all his other baggage. Governor Chris Sununu correctly claims uh, a Haley victory in New Hampshire is essential to save the country. Yes, we, New Hampshire voters, have that power and responsibility. We can utterly change the trajectory of two nomination processes for the better. Or not. If Biden and or Trump prevail on January 23rd, then we lose our reputation for winnowing out unworthy candidates. That would be almost as unimaginable as Kentucky losing the Derby or Indy losing the 500. So at any rate, that's Michael Moffat's uh, take on uh, you know, what's going to play out three weeks from today? It is rapidly approaching, and uh, we will have some pundits on to uh, talk about it and uh, discuss it more thoroughly in the days and weeks ahead here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And uh, we always like to hear from you as well. And, uh, you know, last couple of weeks we've been giving out those great uh, Pat's Peak ski area tickets. And we had uh, numerous winners over the last couple of weeks, and we have uh, more winning to come uh, right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. So stand by for that, and we will uh, let you know through uh, the airwaves and social media what uh, great giveaways we have coming up here on WKXL, as well as uh, keeping you posted as to what's happening uh, 
politically and uh, and and news-wise all over the state of uh, New Hampshire. And uh, mentioned uh, earlier in the program today that uh, Chris Sale was dealt to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Red Sox uh, traded Sale, and they also uh, gave the Atlanta Braves quite a bit of money uh, to pay Sale uh, toward his his guaranteed 2024 contract, which is the final year of his contract. And the Red Sox are paying, from what I saw, approximately 70% of Chris Sale's contract to pitch for the Atlanta Braves. But it's okay. It's okay because he's not our headache anymore. He was the most uh, unreliable pitcher on the staff for the last three or four years. And he's out of our hair now. He's uh, the Atlanta Braves problem. And I think they will use Chris Sale wisely. I really do. I think uh, you know the Braves are a very smart organization. They will use him as he should have been used in Boston the last three years as a one-inning reliever two or three times a week. Get as much out of him as you can. Don't expect him to be effective any more than one inning at a time. I think the Braves will do that, ultimately anyway. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Kale and Company. Thanks to our guest today, our first guest of the year, Josh Hilliard, the New Hampshire Insurance Department's Enforcement Counsel, Josh Hilliard. Thanks to Josh, first guest of the year here on Kale and Company. Hope you join us tomorrow between 8 and 9, right here, WKXL NH.